are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast. We talk to the people who make the forum what it is, about the games that matter to them. Today, we have with us a fellow named Adam, who you know as Bahimiran. And Adam, you just mentioned before we started recording something that I should have known, that it's from some Hebrew source, yes? Yes, it is. It is... uh... It is, uh, I'm going to be honest with you here. It is Hebrew for 13-year-old boy thinks this sounds cool. Wait, what? <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's something I picked out when I was a kid, and I just thought, this is totally rad. Without uh, knowing what it meant? Oh uh, No, I actually do know what it means, and I've, I've kind of just, I've had it ever since, so it's just one of those things that I've always, I've always used just because I have enough people who know me by that. Sure. Even though... You know, I, I would be perfectly willing to uh, to go back and revisit that if, if it wasn't such an inconvenience. Well, now you've got to spill the beans, then. What does it mean? What 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 does it Oh, this is kind of embarrassing. All right, it means the beastly one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, dude, I was, I was, when we're 13, we're all retarded. Beastly one. Oh, that is an awesome thing to be saddled with for all these years. That's great. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know what? Hardly anybody knows what it means. So for the most part, uh, when I like join an Xbox Live game, it's hey, uh, you. uh, You know what? Never mind. You just stay back at the port and and shoot people to come in. Well, now I not realizing it was Hebrew, and certainly not realizing that it meant the beastly one. I always saw your username as something that I wanted to shorten, and for some reason, I, I was thinking of like a title in like some colonial. You're uh, like a British colony. I, I was thinking like Sahib, so I, I kept wanting to call you Bahim, like as a Sahib kind of thing, like a, a shorthand for some colonial overlord. That, that's what it always looked like to me. Uh, so, all right, beastly one. <laughs> now, you are in Boston. Uh, I want you to tell us what you have just been doing tonight. I was just at a uh, what I thought was going to be a little reception uh, for people who are graduating from the Harvard Extension School with their they're getting their master's degrees uh, mm-hmm. with Marley in Malloy on the forums. Mm-hmm. So, so as it turned out, it was there was the reception, and then it was followed by about an hour and a half of and this special award goes to this person for and then an unbelievable explanation of what their master's degree was about. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I know, I think of myself as a relatively smart guy, but I understood about half of these master's degrees because a lot of them are in science that I do not do a lot of biological chemistry. So it was a, it was a little boring. Did they at but, least serve you dinner? Oh, uh, well, they served us finger foods. Oh, well, that's not good. And, and booze. Ah, okay. So... so you can survive just about anything as long as there's an open bar. Now, uh, I know for a fact I heard Marley briefly a while ago in the background telling me to ask you about the strippers. So you're going to have to tell me about the strippers, Adam. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. Uh, okay, there's, there's only one stripper. Mm-hmm. And this is, a, this is a story that's probably about seven years old. And it is something that she has decided is just her favorite story about me. <laughs> Oh, and I don't know if you've heard her wooing in the background because she realized I was talking about it. Mm-hmm. That added to the atmosphere. Good. Great. Um, 
So, by the way, real quick, Adam, uh, has this story been related on the forum? Is this new to everyone, or is this some a story that some folks on the forum already know? No, this is entirely new to everybody. Awesome, good. Okay, so tell us the new stripper story prompted by Marley that you have now been uh, goaded into revealing. Go ahead. All right, so it was about seven years ago, and I was madly in love with this girl, and the girl had gotten proposed to by another guy, and she accepted. So I was depressed, so I do what depressed people do in the Midwest, and I went to a strip club. This was in Kansas, yes? Actually, this was in Council Bluffs, Iowa. <laughs> Even worse. <laughs> way, way worse. And uh, I don't know if there's anybody on the forum who's anywhere near Council Bluffs. I think Craze is. But uh, it's it's a not a pleasant place. Um, but I had myself a lot of drinks, and I woke up the next morning with a stripper. And... I looked over and I realized that things had occurred that night that would lose your your clean tag here. So I climbed out of my bed and I went and got dressed and I had to go to work. So I knocked on my roommate's door and I told him that when she woke up, he should escort her out. So I went to work and about four hours later, I hadn't heard anything. So I went and I called him and I said... Um, what what happened? And he said, "Oh, yeah, I, uh, it, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be polite here. He related to me that he, in fact, had been engaged in Congress with her, and had fallen asleep." And I said, "What?" And then he said, "Oh, your Xbox is gone." Oh, <laughs> and and your DVD player is gone. And I then said, what else is gone? So he looked around for a bit, and eventually uh, it, we were missing quite a bit of stuff, which meant he had fallen asleep, and she had made multiple trips. Um, we were missing, the, the, of course, the Xbox, the DVD player, the uh, GameCube, which why would anybody steal a GameCube? And uh, uh, his fryer. So that was somebody who was dedicated to stealing a lot of stuff. Um, and that right there should be the, the end of the story, the, well, that, that is horrible. Except then the next day, we went to the club where she worked, and apparently he knew the bartender. The bartender told us where she lived. Mm -hmm. So we went there, and uh, she wasn't home, but the door of her trailer was unlocked, and her boyfriend was passed out on the floor. So we just walked in and got our stuff back. Wow, that's Iowa in a nutshell, it sounds like. <laughs> that is absolutely Council Bluffs, 100%. Well, the, the only thing missing is that at no point were any of us doing that. <laughs> the problem with this story, Adam, is I expected there to be some sort of moral accountability. Uh, you actually got your stuff back. Uh, this, where are your just desserts in this story? There are no just desserts. This is no. This is a story of life. <laughs> there, there is no. The only close thing to a happy ending is that uh, is that we got our stuff back, but we didn't learn any important moral lessons. Did, have you seen Sideways, by the way? Yes. Yeah, I'm yes, thinking I of Paul seen. Giamatti creeping into the waitress's house 
uh, trying to get Thomas Hayden Church's wallet back. I'm thinking of you and your roommate like that, but instead this is in Iowa and with a stripper who lives in a trailer. That's the image in my head. <laughs> uh, and, and you didn't have a naked man chase you, by the way. None of that. There was no chase scene. No, the naked man was passed out on the floor, and at no point did he wake up. So maybe he was doing that. So then it does become the perfect Iowa story. Now, how did you go from Kansas to Iowa to Boston? How does that happen? Oh, that is the happy ending, because uh, it's actually Farley. uh, She and I had met a couple of times through friends, and she lived in Boston, and I really didn't have a whole lot going on in Iowa. And I... uh, did a couple of job interviews, uh, and uh, I got a much better job in Boston. So I took it to move out here to be with her. What's what the is best the best part of the story? story? Yeah. What did you leave out? And she said, guess what, dude? I caught the stripper. And you said, whatever, dude. She's not my stripper. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There's, I was trying not to curse. <laughs> Uh, that that was a nice little bit of like embellishment from Marley. Well played. <laughs> he says good job. So, uh, what is? Did you mainly grow up in Kansas or in Iowa? I mainly grew up in uh, Overland Park, Kansas. And what was Overland Park, Kansas like? You you know when you turn on the TV and there is a show about things happening in the suburbs, mm-hmm. and oh, have you ever seen Weeds? I know of it. I have not seen it. It's uh, it's Mary Louise Parker dealing marijuana in the suburbs. Well, the the show really doesn't come into it, but the the theme song, which actually you don't even need to know weeds, it's a famous song. The all the houses on the hillside, uh, and they're all made out of tiki tacky, and they're all look just the same. Mm-hmm. It's an old folk song. Mm-hmm. That's what it's like in Overland Park, Kansas. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, very divide. Nobody lives in anything that isn't a subdivision. The subdivisions are all houses that there are maybe two or three houses, and then they're repeated. It's kind of like a cheap video game, <laughs> or they have to reuse their assets a lot. Yes, or or like a '60s cartoon when they're walking along and it's just the same house over and over. What were the good uh, things about Overland Park, Kansas? It was a. Uh, it was a very nice area. It was a very quiet area. We had very good schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I never wanted for much of anything. So, you know, I, I think of my time in Overland Park, Kansas, very fondly, mm-hmm. even though uh, right now, these days, I probably wouldn't really move back there with the exception of uh, really, really cheap there compared to Boston. Have you been back recently? No, actually, my parents, last time I visited my parents, they had decided to move out of Overland Park and move to a place in the center of Kansas called Great Bend, which uh, is not great in any way, shape, or form. It is, in fact, makes Council Bluffs look like a really nice place. Is it at least a bend? There is a bend in the river, and it's uh, apparently a relatively large one, which is how they got the name. Okay, well, that works. That works. You, no, you mentioned getting a oh go ahead I'm sorry no no go ahead you mentioned getting a better job in Boston uh, you already told me before that you think your job is boring but I love that well I love hearing what your job is tell us what your job is in Boston my job in Boston is that I am middle management at a uh, manufacturing plant mm-hmm. and tell us what they manufacture because this is my favorite part of it 
You know what? I told you pressure switches, but I'm going to uh, I'm going to fancy that one up for you. We make threshold detection devices. That's awesome. You are a threshold detection device creation manager. Yes. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's hardworking people like us that may have caused the terrible BP disaster. So. Whoa! Wow! Way to tie in uh, atrocities to your job. Nice work. Did you people also were you responsible for the Challenger blowing up? Did you guys make that O-ring? No, no, we don't make O-rings. Okay. We make we make, we make safety redundancy devices. <laughs> now, is your job really though? It's basically being in charge of people, correct? I mean, being in management. Uh, you've yes. got to, is it like herding cats and that kind of thing? Like you've just got to deal with all these different types of personalities. Like I'm I'm guessing that's what you have to do, right? There's a lot of uh, dealing with personalities. The thing about it is that I am there, and I am have been there for a year and a half now, mm-hmm. and the people who are on my equal, on my level, the next uh, junior person has been there for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So it's wow. a lot of people who are very set in their ways and know what to do. And I'd say 90% of the time, I can sit back and uh, rack up 10,000 posts on the forum (laughs) and uh, let them do what they do. But there are times where they need people to help them interface without screaming at one another. Now, now tell me, Adam, at your job, uh, who do you like the most? Who's the awesomest person at your job who makes it easier to do what you do? Who's your favorite coworker? My favorite coworker is somebody uh, who works in the engineering department who is basically the, one of the few people who has been there as short a time as I have, so she is not at all, uh, what, what was the word that they used in uh, the Shawshank Redemption for people who have been in prison too long? Institutionalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, she's got her own ideas about how things are run, and then when, uh, when those ideas are looked down upon by the people who have been there for a thousand years so they know better. She is somebody who, who can talk to me about it and will. And uh, also we make fun of other people by emailing back and forth about people's crazy-ass New England accents. Can you can you demonstrate for us a crazy-ass New England accent? No, my cra- Every accent I do ends up sounding like a Jewish woman. So. <laughs> well, i got to hear it now. Uh, I work with somebody who doesn't pronounce anything correctly, so I'm going to go down to the uh, to the deli, and I'm going to get some mortadella and some mozzarella and uh, some salamis uh, on a sandwich, and then I'll put it in my refrigerator. Okay, so I got to say, Adam, that sounded right there like an Adam Sandler impression, and it works I, for me. I'm willing to admit that that... That is actually an imitation of a specific person, and it's actually fairly close. Well, good. And and by the way, uh, a special tip of the hat to you for not wussing out and refusing to do it. Very brave of you to put yourself out like that with your accent. Well done. To to give myself a little bit of extra credit, uh, Adam Sandler is Jewish. Ah, right. He does that Hanukkah song. Yes. So when you are not uh, when you're not working. When you are not accompanying the uh, lovely Miss Malloy to uh, graduation ceremonies, uh, I see you on the 360 a lot. You certainly uh, are very active in a lot of different uh, video gaming discussions. 
Tell me about how you came into video gaming. When did it happen when you were a kid? What game got you hooked? Uh, what was video gaming like for you when you were younger? Honestly, when I think back that far, things start to blur. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my friend when I was a kid getting the, uh, the original Nintendo and me being jealous as hell for over that. But I think even before that, I had a Commodore 64, which at that time it was the computer, but uh, mostly I used it to play Congo Bongo. What is so, Congo Bongo? What is that? It was sort of a ripoff of Pitfall, but it was kind of at a, uh isometric angle. And I'm going to go ahead and say right now that I remember it was impossible, but I'm sure, like, 20 people are now going to immediately post that it was super easy, and uh, I just must have sucked. <laughs> uh, and from there, where did you go? So you were a PC guy for a long time, I presume. Like, you had the Commodore 64, like you were on you personal know, computers rather than consoles? There, there was an argument a while back about whether or not a C64 really counts as a console or a computer, and, and while I would say it's a computer, I'm not really sure I'd say it's a, quite exactly as hardcore as a PC. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, I went from the the C64, and I eventually did that thing where I begged and pleaded, and then finally got a Nintendo. And uh, and then from the Nintendo, I then kind of co-opted my mother's 0886 IBM PC piece of trash. Uh, didn't have a hard drive. You had to plug in two floppy disks to make it work at any given time because <laughs> one of them had DOS on it. And... From there, I basically, I, I did PCs and I did Nintendo. I got the Super Nintendo, and then I got a much better PC, and then I got the Nintendo 64, and I got a much better PC. So until I got out on my own and started realizing that uh, keeping up with the Joneses on the PC is not always cost-effective for a bachelor, uh, I was always pretty even keel on both. I... Uh, I guess my most recent PC would be I really decided I would get a really great gaming laptop. And it turns out gaming laptops age really badly. They do, don't they? Yeah. Nobody warns you about that. Or that they can leave massive burns on your legs. <laughs> uh, what? How, how old is your gaming laptop? Uh, my most recent gaming laptop is only about three years old. So in computer terms, what's that, like Precambrian? Uh, yeah, you can't say only about three years old. That's old, Adam. That's super old for a gaming laptop. Ouch. Now, the, the real problem with it was that it was about a year old when the uh, inverter on it went, and you can't actually use it anymore without just plugging it into an external monitor, mm. which kind of kills the whole point of having a laptop. So that's why you're on the 360 a lot, it sounds like. Yeah, it's just... It's, I know I'm going to get some hate, but it's just easier. <laughs> Uh, I agree. I don't think I don't think anybody can dispute that. Uh, I would say you always know it's going to work, except my 360 died in January. So of course you don't always know it's going to work. But Wait, was that your first 360 failure? And yeah, I got mine was a first generation, so I know how lucky I am. Yeah, you got off real easy, Adam. Yeah. So, uh, what? Been what through six? Uh, I have been through. Well, I I have. Technically, I have three different 360s at this point, and each one of them, if you combine the iterations that each one has been through, I've been through over 12. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I am well acquainted with how to get an Xbox 360 into one of those cardboard boxes, so if you ever need any help with that, 
I, I'm there. I can easily do it, and I can help you with that. <laughs> well, when mine went, I, I realized just how lucky I'd been for it to last as long as it was did, and I had no complaints about just going down to Best Buy and getting a new one. Right? And Which, to be go ahead. That's what that, that's what Bill Gates wants. Exactly right, right. And and to be fair, uh, I really do feel like it's an issue that they've pretty much licked. Uh, it's not really uh, a reason not to get a 360 anymore. I, I think the latest iterations they they, they seem solid enough. Uh, they, they seem to have finally gotten around this, this failure issue. Uh, so there was, there was definitely a time where I did not want to run anything on my 360, so yeah. I started buying more games for my PS3. Mm-hmm. And then these days with the new 360, just the old one sounded like I was starting up a chainsaw every time. <laughs> and then whenever I put in a disc, there was probably a 60% chance it was going to tell me that it wasn't a 360 disc yep. or that it was trying to load a DVD. So... The new one's great. I you know, once again buy everything on the 360. So what's the, what's the last game you bought? The most recent game? Red Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption and Alan Wake on the same day. How are they working for you? Which one are you gravitating towards uh, more actively? Well, Alan Wake was kind of an accident, and I have not even put it in yet. Why was it an accident? So, How did you accidentally buy Alan Wake? <laughs> did it fall into your, your shopping cart? Well, I had a uh, I had a big, a large Best Buy credit, which I had put down toward Red Dead Redemption. Mm-hmm. But uh, Amazon's deal was way, way better. So I went in and I meant to pick up Alpha Protocol, and I ended up at the front counter with Alan Wake. So mm-hmm. I figured, well, I'm probably going to get them all anyway. So. And so you haven't even looked at Alan Wake yet, though, you're saying? I really want to, but it's, okay. I've been enjoying Red Dead. So can we talk a bit about Red Dead Redemption? I don't want to scoop anyone else's conversation later, but I've been playing a lot of that as well. Before we get to your game that you want to specifically talk about, can we talk about Red Dead? Do you feel okay sure. about that? Okay. I'm uh, not too far into it. I'm not either, I don't think. Uh, wait, now, can you, can you try to dance around spoilers to talk about how far into it you are? I have not... I have just finished... The first set of missions in uh, Armadillo, where they then tell you to go find like the old doctor, the the, the traveling sideshow. Ah, uh, yes, right. Snake oil salesman. Right. And I have not actually gone and done that. I just went around and shot animals. Now, so you you said you're liking it because one of my one of my sort of problems with Red Dead Redemption, and this is I think uh, something you can observe about Rockstar's games in general, is how it starts kind of slowly, and over time I've come to like it more, uh, but at first I really, really had a hard time getting into Red Dead Redemption, even though I, I really, really appreciate when an open world game like this offers a new setting. I, I find that a, a huge hook, but it wasn't working very well for me in Red Dead Redemption, so y- you're taking to it early on. What's what's grabbing you about it at this early stage? I'll admit that first hour I kind of had to force myself to keep playing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was there was a lot of oh I really I, I'm going to keep playing this because I really like the atmosphere what they're going for. Uh, if you've got a surround sound set up when that rain comes through, uh, you might go check out your window just to make sure it's not raining outside because that is how good it sounds. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you're basically trapped doing these fairly dull missions at the very beginning and oh. And it doesn't do a very good job of explaining things to you. Uh, that first breaking the horse mission. Oh my god! I probably did that forty times 
because I didn't realize you were supposed to keep your hand down on the left trigger. Yes. Oh, God, that's so annoying. I kept leaving up on it, and the horse kept running away, and I kept thinking, what am I doing wrong? And I finally ended up just asking somebody, and they told me what I was doing wrong, and then I went and I did it immediately. But, yeah, that was very frustrating. And I can see how somebody could... Uh, I, I know you and I do not always have the same opinions on games, but I, I generally agreed with you on the way Grand Theft Auto 4 played out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I can definitely see a lot of the same issues with this. If absolutely nothing else, I don't know why John Marston has the same bizarre turning radius as Nico Bellic. <laughs> he refuses to turn around. He's just sort of got this invisible chair next to him at any given time that he has to walk all the way around before he can turn the other way. <laughs> now, it's funny that you mentioned that turning radius, uh, Adam, because con- unlike his turning radius in the physical world, as far as storytelling, he will turn on a dime. One minute, he's like this super hard-ass criminal who will shoot someone. The next minute, he's picking flowers for old ladies as if he's got nothing better to do. Uh, So I wish that he would turn as slowly as far as his character motivation as he does as a character model. Uh, And that's fair enough. I've I've had a few people say, uh, Howdy there! I bet I can pick more herbs than you faster! And I just (laughs) thought, okay, well, I'm not going to do that because... You probably can, and I don't really care. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's also the same thing with Grand Theft Auto 4, where you had Nico Bellic, who uh, could run over 50 people in a row and then blow up a gas station and kill 50 people, and then 50 more people, different people. And then he'd show up at the mission and oh, talk to his girlfriend like, uh, you know, they were, they were old friends, and he's a really nice, loving fellow. Right, or how he'd refuse to take a mission because he doesn't want to kill innocent people. I mean, I'd, just, Rockstar is just so sloppy and inconsistent when it comes to fitting their storytelling into this game world that they throw you into. And it just it, it was just a huge obstacle for me. And it, it, I think it's an obstacle throughout Red Dead Redemption. Um, but I, I, I can definitely see that. But it's, it's one of those things where you kind of have to make your own stories. And Red Dead Redemption allows for that with the, the sheer amount of random things that happen. Mm-hmm. And and you can see that on the board when people are saying, well, uh, who was it? I think it was Forge Forsaken. If it wasn't, if it was maybe Frank Austin, you know a lot of people, um, who a, a woman tried to steal his horse. Yep. And he didn't want to shoot her in the back, so he whistled for his horse, which knocked her off. He went over, hogtied her, threw up on the back of the horse, rode out in the middle of nowhere where he knew coyotes were, threw her down on the ground, then rode away and watched as the coyotes ate her. Mm-hmm. So that is that is an example of somebody taking this game where uh, it, it tries to feed you a story and saying, well, yeah, you can have that bit of your story back. I'm going to go ahead and make my own story. And then he shared it on the forum, and it got a lot of response. Yep. And but the problem with that though, Adam, I think is that is that, and I think it was Frank uh, Austin. The problem with that is I think he is Rockstar still is going to force feed him this really convoluted, inconsistent story. I mean, something like Just Cause is more than happy to let that be the core of your gameplay experience. Rockstar continues to force their their really terribly told story onto people who might otherwise just enjoy this great emergent dynamic of the ecology and stolen horses and coyotes eating people who are tied up. Uh, you know, Frank Austin is still going to have to sit through these just awful, awful, poorly written cutscenes. 
if there if he does want to move forward, there will be a point where he has to do that. And, right, right. Yeah. And it's you know I, I hate to say it's something you have to get used to because obviously you don't want to have to get used to something that is bad. But I uh, I remember my, probably my favorite Grand Theft Auto yeah, until Saints Row. I would say Saints Row Two is the best Grand Theft Auto ever, mm-hmm. which um, is probably gonna not be a popular statement, but, you know, your character's a psychopath, but at no point is she, he or she not a psychopath. Right. But um, in, in Grand Theft Auto 3, uh, uh, I was 3, uh, San Andreas, you've got this character, Carl, and he's, or CJ, I guess Carl, and he's a great character at the beginning. He just comes back because he wants to get back together with his family, he wants to investigate his mom. And by the end of the game, he's murdering members of the National Guard and blowing up dams, committing acts of domestic terrorism. And you're sitting there thinking, how did the game get to this? <laughs> Where did this story go off the rails? So I, I can absolutely, I can see where you're coming from. And it's really a shame, too, because I'm assuming it's Dan Hauser. You know, there's somebody over there at Rockstar who really wants to tell stories. And some of those stories are really cool. And there are flashes of great insight uh, in San Andreas and in Grand Theft Auto 4 and in Red Dead Redemption. Uh, as I'm playing further into Red Dead Redemption, I'm glad I'm sticking with it because there are some good bits in there. But oh, they, they just get so swallowed up and lost. I wish they could better focus on those good bits without burying them under so much junk. Uh, so, just to let you know, it's not really a spoiler, you're in for, I think, a, a lot, there's a longer stretch of just really dull stuff <laughs> ahead of you. Um, I, I heard it gets rough in the second act. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, either I will uh, I will stick with it or, or I won't. Yeah. Well, I haven't gotten, go ahead, go ahead. I've said this before, that anybody who looks at my gamer tag history can see I don't beat a lot of games. I play a lot of games, but I don't beat a lot of games. Well, that's where you get Marley in to pad your gamer score, I understand. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so you haven't tried Alan Wake yet. Uh, you got Red Dead Redemption. Uh, looking forward to Alpha Protocol, you mentioned. Yes. You've already got that pre-ordered, yes? Alpha Protocol and then uh, Crackdown 2. And then oh, yes. Yeah. What else I'm looking forward to after that, so... but. No, between Just Cause 2 and Crackdown 2 and and what Red Dead Redemption offers in terms of open world gameplay, uh, if not necessarily what it always delivers, I, I really think maybe open world games are done for a while and they can start going back to giving us some more focused games. Well, uh, I, I don't know if, if... I'm going to throw a date at you and you tell me if it means anything. Are you ready? All right. August 31st. Is that when Halo Reach comes out? Or are you oh, good that? lord, no, no. That's, Halo Reach at no. me. That's, that's uh, 14th, I believe. <laughs> this is, as a matter of fact, I will still be playing. When Halo Reach comes out, I'm just going to be, yeah, whatever. I'm going to be playing this thing that came out on August 31st. I'm pretty sure you would be on board with this. The next, I think, like, I'm, I'm excited about Alpha Protocol, whatever they're going to do. I'm certainly excited about, even though I have some reservations about Crackdown, but this is the one. That I I just I, I'm just giddy with with excitement about this one. Maybe you're not on board for this. It's a sequel. It's an Xbox 360. Ex- oh, is it an exclusive? It's from Capcom. Dead Rising 2. Oh, okay. Dead Rising 2. Yes, I am waiting. Okay, that's that's I, uh, me. that's the big red mark on my calendar at this point. Is August 31st. Dead Rising 2. 
<laughs> I played the first one a lot, but I never actually got anywhere in it. You don't have to. I love that about it. Yeah, I, well, you know, it was one of those things where uh, I went through and I'd get killed and then I'd go back and I'd go through and I'd get killed and I'd go back. And I probably put a good 20 hours in it and I don't think I ever actually beat it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is you can be playing uh, Dead Rising and you can basically fail one of those story missions and shut down the story. And then you're just biding your time waiting on the chopper to get there. And that's one of its sort of unique... That, that's a unique, it, that structure is kind of unique in open world games, is you can fail the storyline, but you still have to play out your, your time in the shopping mall. I love that about uh, Dead Rising, because I've never finished the story either. Uh, and, I'm, you know, you don't need to. Uh, that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the great things about it, is unlike Rockstar forcing you through their little clumsy story beats, Dead Rising's happy to just let you ignore that stuff. Uh, I admire that about it. Um, so the the one thing about Dead Rising was is that uh, it probably had the greatest demo in history. What was their demo? Just it gave you an area was, of the mall. Yeah, it was that opening, not the opening opening area, but the the area where you're first finally really free to go anywhere, mm-hmm. and it gives you that setup area, and you just you are there, you go to town. Mm-hmm. It's the downstairs and the upstairs, and you have thirty minutes. I think it's 15 or 30 minutes. I'm pretty sure it's 30. And you just run around and you just kill zombies, and it sold the hell out of that game. Yeah. I, I was at a press event recently where they had a, just a demo build of Dead Rising 2 running, and it, it's amazing what an effective demo that is. It's just, here's a bunch of zombies, here's a bunch of crazy ways to kill them, go to town. <laughs> That's kind of all you need. Uh, all right, so why then does a guy like you who appreciates... The, the, the appeal of an open world game and of making your own stories. Why, when you're asked what game you want to talk about, do you basically want to talk about the opposite of that and get into these early scripted adventure games, uh, like you mentioned specifically Quest for Glory? What is the appeal of that to you? I'm not sure what appeal it actually has for me anymore. Um, I'm not sure that I have the, the, the patience these days to sit down and get into a new adventure game. I can play Monkey Island, Monkey Island 2, over and over again, but I haven't even tried one of these new Monkey Island games, despite the fact that when they came out, they were very exciting to me. But the thing is, is that these old Sierra Adventure games, uh, two things. First is that they, I have a lot of really good memories of them. They're some of the first PC games that I actually played on a PC. And uh, the second of all is that they are kind of, widely maligned, and, and I'm not going to say not fairly so, but uh, when people look back on adventure games, they look back on the LucasArts adventure games, your, your Monkey Islands and your Indiana Joneses, and they, they look at those as the uh, the highlights, uh, Sam and Max, that sort of thing. And and if you mention King's Quest or Space Quest, people kind of wrink their, wrinkle their nose at it and kind of want to pretend that that particular thing didn't happen. And I'm making it sound a little worse than it is, but they are they are not nearly as loved as the LucasArts games were. And I'm not sure it's fair, but I'm not sure it's unfair. Now, they predated the LucasArts games, right? Like, it was, it was Quest for Glory, King's Quest, Space Quest, and then later on, LucasArts came and introduced, like, different levels of, of, of writing and humor. Is that, is that correct? I'm not sure I 
I'd necessarily say it that way okay. uh, because some of those some of the Sierra games had good writing and they had good humor. That specifically, Quest for Glory is, uh, I'd say, is, is almost timeless in its humor. Uh, hmm. Not it, you know, it's it's one of those things like Bugs Bunny. It, there's going to be a reference to Groucho Marx in there, and even if a kid doesn't know who Groucho Marx is, they know Bugs Bunny made that voice, so it's going to be funny on that level. Mm-hmm. But. Um, yeah, Sierra was... I I wouldn't want to say that Sierra was the first, because, of course, you can trace adventure games all the way back to Infocom, mm-hmm. and, and probably even before that. But um, Sierra was, I believe, the first to do graphic adventure games. I believe they had a mystery manner. Somebody is shouting at their iPod right now telling me what it is. <laughs> I can't hear them. Uh, and then, of course, after that, they, uh, they had the, the King's Quest, and from there, Sierra became a a mega corporation, which was then bought out by Vivendi, which then had their identity completely annihilated. Now, now describe for us what the Quest for Glory games were, because I'm remembering King's Quest, certainly, and I remember Space Quest, but when you and I were talking earlier, I realized I had been conflating King's Quest and Quest for Glory, uh, can you can you tell us what the unique identity was of Quest for Glory? Uh, the first Quest for Glory was actually originally called Heroes Quest. Uh, so you want to be a hero, and they ended up having to change the name to Quest for Glory because of a Milton Bradley game called Hero Quest. Ah. But the idea was is that you were a nameless hero. You named your character uh, who came into the town of Spielberg. Wait a minute. Really? Spielberg? Not as a reference to Steven. <laughs> as a reference to the fact that in German it means game town. Ah, good. <laughs> and that, that well, that, that's kind of the, the level of humor. That There's lots and lots and lots of puns. Mm-hmm. But um, you come into this town, which is sort of a uh, Bavarian-esque village, and you quickly find out it's a it's an adventure, a graphical adventure where you move your character around between screens, and you quickly find out the baroness or the baronet and the baroness have been have disappeared. Uh, the whole countryside is overrun by bandits, and uh, the evil ogress Baba Yaga is terrorizing people in the south. And it's up to you to put things right and prove that you're a hero. And what really sets it apart from other games that were adventure games that were also uh, uh, fantasy-style games, because that, that's, of course, what this was, is dragons and wizards, is it's also a role-playing game. So it was an adventure game that had full-on stats. It had three classes you could be. Ah. You, you named your character. There was real-time fighting, real-time spellcasting. And uh, it had, unlike a lot of adventure games... You know, I don't want to say, unlike a lot of Sierra Adventure games, death didn't come quite so easily, but death still came easily. That, that's the big failing of the Sierra Adventure game over the LucasArts Adventure game, is that somebody at Sierra thought, you know what, the best way to get a lot of time played out of these games is just to really beat the living hell out of anybody playing them, and to treat them like crap. Mm-hmm. Now, we're... we're- were the challenges in Quest for Glory, uh, were there pixel hunt things? Were there inventory puzzles? Uh, 
Yeah, there was there was pixel hunting, there was uh, puzzles, uh, inventory puzzles, but then there was also uh, actual logic puzzles, how to use your specific skills to do something. Uh, a very, very simple one is that when you first go into town and you go into the, there's a, a, the Heroes Guild, and you can look at the different quests, and one of the quests says that the old herbalist has lost her ring and she'll pay you 10 gold to get the ring. And 10 gold's good, because you start out with zilch. And when you go out, the first thing you see, uh, once you go north, is the herbalist hut, and right across from the herbalist hut is a tree, and in the tree is a bird's nest, and in the nest is the ring. So you can cast a spell to try to get the ring, or if you're a fighter, you can throw rocks to try and get the ring, or if you're a thief, you can try climbing the tree to get the ring. And just about every puzzle in the game, and that's very simplistic, but just about every puzzle in the game can be approached from those different ways. Now, that sounds huge to me, Adam, because I, I think back to those old King's Quest games and whatnot uh, as having very specific and at sometimes contrary to logic solutions, like, you know, you you put the mayonnaise on the bread, you push it under the door, you then push the, through the keyhole to make the key fall and land on the sticky mayonnaise, and then you pull the bread out. Like, like that sort of stuff it just, just kills a game for me, is trying to figure out what the developer wanted. But Quest for Glory actually was doing these multiple solutions. Was that, do you remember, uh, something really new and refreshing at that time? Yeah, I could be very well looking through rose-tinted goggles, but mm -hmm. uh, I think the Quest for Glory was much better than a lot of the, especially the Sierra games, but a lot of the games at the time as far as having a more logical approach, at least within the game's logic. Right. And I mean, there, there are a lot of games out there where they say within the game's logic to explain why it makes no sense. Well, the game's logic doesn't make any sense. But in this case, it it was a, a sort of consistent logic. Uh -huh. And and all, all four Quest for Glory games that I played tended to follow that. Now, can you recall for us some memorable set pieces from the four games? You, you mentioned that early on, getting the ring, for instance, and it's in the bird's nest. Uh, from your memories of the four games, what do you remember as being some of the, 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 the best or your favorite set pieces or sequences or puzzles or encounters? Well, in the first one, the first one, I, like I said, is set in sort of a Bavarian village that's just coming out of winter. And uh, there's snow everywhere, and one of the things that you have to do is eventually you have to go visit the wizard Erasmus, who is, <laughs> is a, a reoccurring character who is kind of a crazy guy, and he lives on this peak in the middle of nowhere, uh, way off in the distance, and you just sort of follow this long, infinitely long stairway to get up to him. And then when you get up to him, there's a gargoyle, and the gargoyle asks you three questions, and if you get one of them wrong, he teleports you back down. And every time you come back up, it's it's not draining for you, but your character starts showing where. And by the time you get back up, every time the gargoyle has something new to say to you, to insult you for continuing to try. Mm -hmm. And it was it was, and when you finally got inside, then of course the whole place was completely insane because the wizard Erasmus was a complete lunatic. And it was also packed full of references to other Sierra games. That was one of the things that Quest for Glory loved to do, was just have 
something from King's Quest over here and something from Space Quest over here. Mm-hmm. And um, and then once you got up to talk to the, the wizard, he was completely and totally useless. And you eventually then left and wondered why you had done that. <laughs> and, and I realized that that doesn't make that sound very good, but it was very good in a storytelling way. And it, it was, once again, I haven't, I haven't played this for like five years, so maybe it's not as good as I'm remembering, but it was, it was very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and, mentioned, oh, go ahead. Well, they, they established the sense of place because Spielberg was this place in the north and it represented the winter. But the coming with the coming spring, and you dealt with um, things that that come out of that sort of the northern European, western European, the goblins and the giants, and that sort of thing. Whereas then in the second game, uh, it's set in Shapir, which is sort of Middle Eastern style, and it represents the the south and summer. And it is all very borrowing from the Middle Eastern ideas. There's lots of Moorish architecture in the game. Mm. Uh, you're dealing with the jinn and uh, that that sort of thing. And, and like that, each each game had its own very distinct location. Do you remember any of the sequels being uh, like? Do you have a favorite amongst the four games you played? Do you remember them being better or worse than any others? I'd probably have to say that my favorite would be the first, just because it is the purest in the way it approaches. It's a, it is an open world game. It does not ever stop you from going anywhere in the, the universe that it has given you, even if you're going to get yourself killed. And there are places where you're going to get yourself killed. Well, Adam, you have buried the lead here. <laughs> I had because the the King's Quest. I mean, I think of those old adventure games as being so structured. Uh, so, so this let you go where you're not supposed to go. Yes, absolutely. All, wow. all of them actually were willing to let you do that. But uh, the first one, they, it kept track of time. But what day it was didn't really matter. The second one started, it had a calendar, and certain things happened on certain days, and you could miss them and really miss out on important things. And if you slept through it, you could sleep through the end of the world. It, it would literally show your character napping, and then it would pull back to show a giant fire elemental destroying the city while you slept. That, that's huge. And then... And but in that one too, you could go anywhere in you know, that that's more of a rock star situation. It, you could go anywhere in Shepir, you could go anywhere in the northern deserts, but you couldn't go toward the the secret city until the very end of the game. There was still stuff you had to unlock and, and objectives you had to meet. Uh, yes. Right. One once you had saved the city four times, then you eventually went to the, the secret city in the south and then you had to save it. Now, uh who made these games? Where, and what came of them? Lori and Corey Cole. And uh, that's actually one of those things that that uh, Sierra did, is they sort of had the cult of personality around each of their creators. I couldn't name... If it wasn't for the fact that the guys behind Monkey Island were still making games today, I doubt I could name either of them. But I will always remember Lori and Corey Cole... I hear you Googling. You're Googling. I'm now busted. looking at Wikipedia. <laughs> but, uh, um, 
Brother and sister, and husband and wife, do you know? Husband and wife. Uh, and Roberta Williams was on the King's Quest games and the Quest for Glory games, and you had the two guys from Andromeda making the uh, the Space Quest games, and Jim, he was Jim Walls, made the Police Quest games. And then, of course, everybody loves Leisure Suit Larry, mm-hmm. made by... Hello. Hello. Now, uh... Uh, 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 these Quest for Glory games, do you know offhand, is there any way for people to enjoy them these days? Are they available anywhere? Do they still run? Do you know offhand? I was actually looking that up. When uh, Sierra did their recent, we're going to do kind of a half-assed release of all, or no, I say Sierra, when Actar did their really recent, we're going to do our kind of a half-assed release of bare bones, no no instruction manuals releases of King's Quest and Space Quest. They did, of course, not bother to do Quest for Glory. But uh, I know that at one point you could play them on GameTap. I believe you could play the remake of the first game and the third game and the fourth game. I don't know if you could ever play the second game, but if you couldn't play the second game, fans have actually taken the second game, which was only in EGA graphics. It was never in VGA graphics and remade it in VGA graphics, and you can download that for free. Ah, okay. Now, here's what I want to know, Adam. When can I play these on my iPhone? Probably never, because (laughs) of the sheer amount of typing in, and based on how fun I have, the the amount of enjoyment I get out of typing things into my iPhone, I don't really think I'd want to play a text-parsed adventure on it. Oh, I didn't realize that either. So these had the whole uh, the, the game language stuff. You typed in verbs and nouns, like that whole way of interacting? Yeah, the first two. Uh, yeah, okay, because I mentioned pencil, pixel hunting earlier. And the third and fourth were pixel hunts. They were point-and-click pure without any typing stuff in. But the first two were very much in the uh, you sit down and you type look at box and it says I don't see that here and then you start punching yourself in the head trying to think of what in the world they called that box but uh, usually Quest for Glory was a lot better about that I, I give it a lot of I give it a lot of uh, rope on this but uh, I think it was better about it than a lot of, of other text parse games but yeah, it was it was one of those games where you had to sit there and you typed everything in attack monster. Right. Now, and, go ahead. Sorry. Well, it's uh, every every twelve year old boy sits down and immediately types penis, and it does recognize that. What does it say? So, if I remember correctly, it told you that you shouldn't say things like that. <laughs> uh, you mentioned real time combat and spells. Do, do, can you recall some specifics about how, how did? combat and magic work. That's intriguing when you say that. What does that mean? Well, those weren't hooked up to the uh, to the cat. Well, actually, you know what? In the first one, they were. They, you press the up button to thrust. You press the back button to uh, I say point back. It's the arrow keys. Mm-hmm. So down, I suppose, to hold up your shield. And then you could dodge either side. And this isn't the first one. And it's over the shoulder with the monster in front of you. And of course, it's, it's EGA graphics. So it's not exactly beautiful. They eventually did redo the first one in a point-and-click where it's all claymation, which is kind of weird. But um, And then you would type in to cast your spells. And when you typed in, it would pause the game. Mm-hmm. So you could just sit there and do that over and over again. Uh, in the later ones, they 
they changed how it worked. In the second one, it was more of an isometric view, and it was a lot faster, and there could be multiple baddies queued up to fight you. And then in the third one, there were hotkeys. Mm-hmm. And then in the fourth one, they... Oh, God, the fourth one, they decided to make it like Street Fighter. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> and it, was, it wasn't it was good. Uh, you mentioned and the first one, they went with Claymation? They, well, the first two were EGA, but when they redid the first one, they decided to make all the monsters uh, and animate them in a Claymation style. And I believe they actually used clay as the basis of their... Uh, uh, of their models. I don't remember a lot about it because I very rarely played that version because that version did not have the cheats. Okay. Ah, the cheat, right? Because you cheated your way through? How, what were you doing playing with cheats? Well, I, I always played through right the first time, but then the second time you want to get yourself a bunch of gold so that you don't have to uh, deal with doing a bunch of busy work. Mm-hmm. And And why was there no Quest for Glory 5? Do you know what happened with the series? Yeah. There was a quest, quest for Glory 5. Oh, there was? I never played it. From what I hear, it wasn't that great. I somewhere have the disc, but I could never get it to run in XP. I, I understand that there is now a way that you can get it to run in XP, but I don't know where it is. And even if I knew where my disc was, I wouldn't know where my character was from 4 to load into it. You could, you could, carry, you could continue characters throughout all of the games, or just between 4 and 5? Oh, I keep burying the lead. Yes, you could have your, your character from 1 all the way through 5. Good lord, that's also huge. Yeah, it was... I'm not going to say that this was the first game that did that, but it was certainly the first game I knew of that did that. Right. And I'm certain that there were some really old, like, very, you know, grognard role-playing games that allowed you to do that. But this was this was a very light thing, and, and it allowed you to do it, and it carried through all of your stats and most of your abilities, but if you wanted, you were then given uh, a bunch of points in the new game, so if you decided, well, you know, I like having all these spells, but I'd also like to learn some, some thief, thief stuff and do thief stuff this time around, you could do that. Wow. Good Lord. You know what, Adam? It's so cool to sit down and hear about, because I didn't play these games. I, I certainly knew of them, but I didn't know this stuff about them. Uh, and it it constantly amazes me, like, how some how prescient some of these early games were. Uh, I had no idea this stuff about Quest for Glory. Uh, well, I'm, I'm very glad you decided to talk about this, because uh, you, you've now plugged a gap in my cultural knowledge. <laughs> well played. Now, if you are the type of person who can get over graphics, you should, you should at least play the first one. I'm not sure that I am, though. <laughs> yeah, understandable. It's uh, one of those things where I, there was a point where I would go back every couple of years and I would replay it, but I haven't done it for a long time, and I'm at this point not really sure I could. Well, here's the thing, Adam, is, uh, you know, the, it, it sounds, like I said, very prescient, like they were doing cool things with game design that didn't really come into its own until later games. Uh, and I love hearing about this. I love knowing that that was back there. But for me, if I wanted to experience that kind of thing, I would want to play Oblivion, which, which Marley talked about when she was on the podcast. Uh, I sort of can't help but feel this is a great bit of history, but it's been eclipsed. You know, there's certain games that I think you probably just can't go back to. And I kind of wonder, is Quest for Glory one of those kinds of games? Unfortunately, I then turn around and I would say I can't stand Oblivion. There's there's a a reason I let her play it. And it wasn't so that I could get 1,250 
gamer score off of her. <laughs> well, let me ask you this then. Uh, what you got out of Quest for Glory as a kid, uh, you know, when you were first discovering games back then, what fills for you that sort of gap right now? What, 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 what uh, satisfies that particular Jones in video gaming for you now? What, what takes the Quest for Glory spot? You know what? I'm not really sure that much of anything does. I I, I like the Bioware games. I know that uh, that we haven't agreed on that one, but I really enjoy uh, the way that Bioware presents most of their games. I didn't think that Neverwinter Nights was all that good. Wait, why do we I, disagree I, on that? Because I, I loved uh, Dragon Age. Uh, I'm talking Mass Effect. Too. Oh, good lord. You know what? That's so weird. I almost don't even think of that as Bioware because I'm so not into the Mass Effect games. Okay, fair enough, though. Good point. <laughs> I, I actually, I liked Dragon Age to a point, and then I am, my character right now is at the very base of the thing where you run up and go kill that last dragon. Right. And I haven't touched the game for four months. Right. Don't you want to know what happens in the end, though? Don't you want to see the denouement of everything? No, because Morgan pissed me off, and I just thought, you know what, I'm not interested anymore. All right. <laughs> now, what I, I really wonder, though, is with all this, uh, we're getting kind of off the subject, but with all this really silly uh, DLC that they've had for that, the Warden's thing, right. not the Warden's Keep, the um, Awakenings, and then this next thing where you get to play the monsters attacking... Darkside Chronicles or whatever, yep, yep. With all of that, our... Are they just basically saying Dark, um, Dragon Age 2 is not going to bring in your character and it's not going to pay attention to any of the decisions you've made? That's a good question, but, you know, they got around that with Mass Effect. Yeah, but Mass Effect didn't have a bunch of really silly DLC. Mass Effect had two DLC things, and they were completely stupid, but they weren't. You get to play Saren, and then you blow up the galaxy. Oh, I think. See, I don't think. Dark, actually, I don't know exactly what they're doing with Dark Side Chronicles. But you know what? You're right. It is an alternate history yeah. take on the universe. Yeah, yeah. And then Awakenings. If your character, uh, spoilers for those who have not yet beaten Dragon Age. If your character, let's say, makes the ultimate sacrifice, right. apparently Awakenings completely ignores that. But then again, isn't there a bunch of stuff in Mass Effect Two that completely ignores possible outcomes from Mass Effect One? Maybe there aren't. Maybe I'm mistaken there, because I never finished the first Mass Effect. But I was under the impression that if you made certain choices in Mass Effect 1, that Mass Effect 2 was going to have to ignore those choices. I could be mistaken. I don't believe so. Okay. At least as far as those really big choices that you make at the end of Mass Effect 1, as far as the council goes. Okay. There was nothing yeah, I... where Mass Effect 2 basically had to say, we're going to pretend this didn't happen. Like, Mass Effect 2 could pretty much take into account any contingency from Mass Effect 1. I don't know about any contingency, but I do know, I, I have been led to believe, of course, I only finished Mass Effect 1 once, and I did it as a nicey-nice good guy. Right. So my Mass Effect 2 had the very, had the, the plain Jane setting of the council is there, and they're still being jerks. Right. Okay, well, yeah, fair point. It does sound like Dragon Age is definitely willing to discount the decisions you've made earlier in order to provide you with new content. And, yeah, that does feel a little cheap, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Also, it could very well affect my playing of uh, Dragon Age. I played it on the PS3, which obviously was not the original 
paying for it. Because <laughs> you were but, scared yeah. your your Xbox was going to die, weren't you? I was. <laughs> and, of course, I couldn't play it on my uh, dead gaming laptop. But um, I felt driving in tents in places were really dragged. Uh, I would agree with you there. Yep. I, I started playing Mass Effect again, but uh, I don't think I could ever start playing another game of Dragon Age knowing that I would have to do the Mage's Tower again. I can, yeah, yeah, I can buy it. Pacing is, I think, something that people don't talk about enough in video games. People are always talking about, you know, graphics and interface and stuff, but I wish that pacing was a more commonly discussed aspect of game design because it's rarely done well, and when it is done well, I feel it's not appreciated enough. So I'm with you 110% there, Adam. Yeah. Maybe Alpha Protocol will have perfect pacing. Okay, real quick, what is Alpha Protocol? Will it be a thumbs up, a thumbs down? Like, I, I'm, I'm worried, just to be perfectly frank. I'm a little worried about Alpha Protocol. How, how do you feel about it? I thought that you encouraged people not to make thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> what would you give it on a scale of seven to nine before you've even played it? Go. <laughs> Somewhere between seven to nine, absolutely certain. <laughs> but I, I just, I'm a, I'm a little worried about it. I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm psyched to see how it turns out. And actually, by the time this podcast is posted, I will have been playing it. But I'm, I'm just a little worried. You're, you're not worried. You're, you're okay. You're, you're optimistic. I'm thinking clunky, but good, but kind of ugly. Okay. This is basically what I'm thinking. So I don't necessarily know. Uh, some of the gameplay videos I've seen, I don't like the, the melee combat. It looks kind of ugly. It's just, just really gross looking. I, I'm saying gross. It's not like Saw, but uh, <laughs> just like really ugly animations. But uh, on the other hand, maybe it'll be great. Maybe gameplay footage wasn't the right thing for me to look at. But uh, everything I've seen so far, it's it's a great team of people making it. Obsidian, uh, people bag on Knights of the Old Republic too, but Knights of the Old Republic's two story is probably one of my favorites that Bioware did up until the last oh, 10 minutes of it, mm-hmm. where at some point somebody said, and this is how it ends, let me tell you. I think, Adam, if there's one team of developers uh, for whom the best possible news could be, hey, we're giving these guys six more months, it would be Obsidian. Uh, Absolutely. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, That has been true for them since they were named other things. uh, All right. Well, Adam, uh, I want to ask you now a question that has nothing to do with anything that we've talked about. Straight out of the blue, flat out, random question. Are you ready for this? Probably not. Good, because you're not supposed to be. Here we go. (laughs) Uh, This is actually a pretty easy one. Uh, And one that actually, this is an earnest question. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about this. What's the thing you own that you've had the longest time? Wow. You know what? I honestly... It would probably have to be, and this is this is kind of embarrassing, it is a Clerks t-shirt. You know, I was even going to say, because I, I didn't know if it would be something that would be tough to remember, I was going to say, don't you have some t-shirt or something you've had to remember? A Clerks t-shirt, like the movie? I have, whenever I move, I pack as little as possible, so, but I always pack up as much of my t-shirts as I can, 
And yeah, I've got a, a Clerks t-shirt that they released uh, shortly after the movie was released, but before Kevin Smith's second movie came out, when it was very, they were kind of getting popular. Mm-hmm. And it, all it says on it is Clerks, and it has been, it is full of holes. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's something that, you know, I'm, I am technically still a bachelor, so it still gets tossed in the washing machine, and it still gets worn. And it will until it's not necessarily technically a shirt anymore. And isn't it probably one of the most comfortable bits of clothing that you have? It is damn comfortable. Yeah, there's nothing like those old T-shirts that you, that are just like so well fit to you, and they've been washed for so long, and maybe you can't work see what the logo is. But so so, how many years is that? Can you puzzle out for me? When did Clerks come out? Yeah, it's probably twelve years old at this point. Okay. Uh, does anyone, say a certain Marley Malloy, press you to throw out this Clark's T-shirt? No, but I will go ahead and answer Marley's answer to this question. But she has, you know, because she helpfully shouted to ask about the stripper story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hers would either be an adorable stuffed animal named Lollipop. Ah, what is Lollipop? A bear? It is a stuffed dog. With multiple colored, uh, one color arm, different color arm, different colored legs, big holes in its face and its stomach where stuffing is popping out. (laughs) But isn't Lollipop, hasn't Lollipop just been loved nine ways to Sunday? Isn't there so much little Marley Malloy love poured into Lollipop? Lollipop. Because it's a dog. It's a, it's a clever pup. Lollipop. Oh, see? Wow, very clever. Yes. <laughs> and uh, to this day, she can't get to sleep unless Lollipop is there. That is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I love the continuing tradition of you two outing various facts about each other. That's very nice. <laughs> I did owe her. Uh, so just to to answer, just to uh, put in my two cents real briefly, I actually have, from 1977, a birthday gift that I got. Uh, this is a friend of the family, uh, and I would have been 11 years old. Uh, he showed up at my 11-year-old birthday party with a gift in a big old... Actually, I don't even think he wrapped it. It was a big red toolbox, and he had painted my name on top of it. And I went by Tommy back then when I was 11, but he wrote on it, Tom Chick. He put like a shortened version of my name, sort of anticipating that as I grew up, I might not want to go by Tommy. I would want to go by Tom, which I do. And I remember getting this and not being at all. I didn't own any tools. I didn't have anything to put in a toolbox. I I remember thinking, this is a terrible gift. Why would some dude, a friend of the family, give me a toolbox? Uh, And I just remember hating it. But him saying, you know, over the years, you'll always need something to put your tools in. So this is for you. And just kind of rolling my 11-year-old eyes and wishing he'd gotten me some, you know, Star Wars action figure or whatever. Uh, but I still have that thing. And it is in my garage now. And he was right. You know, I all, you always need something to put your tools in. Uh, and so I've got that in there. And it's painted, you know, my name, Tom Chick, is on it. And it says 1977. And... The fella, his name was Lane. I think he wrote his name on it because he, he would do sign it, like he would do sign lettering and paint signs and whatnot. And so that's something I've had since, what is that, 33 years now. Uh, so way, way older than, than your T-shirt. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> when you say it has tools in it, does that have actual tools in it, or does it have your current tools of the trade, just like a backup beret and some no, memory nothing. cards? Nope, nothing figurative. It literally has tools in it. It has, I have an oil change, one of those things that you use to grab the oil filter on a car that I probably used once, and that's in there. But, you know, there's useful things in there like a hammer and a screwdriver. It has actual literal tools in there. My figurative tools I keep elsewhere. Uh, but I, I just remember having that thing, getting that thing, and thinking this is stupid, but it being an instance of, yeah, this guy was right. You can always, uh, wh- where do you keep your tools? Do you have a screwdriver? Where is it? Uh, every time I move into a new place, I forget and leave all my tools at my old place. So then I run out to the local discount place and I get one of those uh, 19.99 for 500 tools. Right. And then every time I actually go to use one, of course, then it breaks. And then I do a lot of cursing and then I go out to Home Depot and I buy an actual tool, which I will then leave at the place where I move. Nice. Very good. All right. Part of your continuing tradition of scattering tools behind you wherever you live. <laughs> yes. I'm like Johnny Appleseed, but with pork punches. <laughs> well, Adam, I appreciate you hanging out talking with me. This was really cool hearing about Quest for Glory. I had just assumed when we were going to sit down and talk. I didn't do any research because I was going to let you do all the explaining. I just thought we were going to talk about some crappy little King's Quest pixel hunting game. Uh, so, so thank you so much for picking this. And uh, like I said, filling in a gap for, for my cultural knowledge. Well, thank you for having me. Do you play the Empire Total War game? Do you play any of the Total War series? And see, those are all PC games. Those are. Those will not run on your gaming laptop. Those will definitely not run on my gaming laptop. Those are the sort of things where I uh, would look at pictures of them in CGW back in the day, and I think this looks like the kind of game I should totally buy. And then I would buy it, and I'd play it, and I'd be like, this is going to require me to learn a bunch of stuff. So instead, I'm going to go and play a console game where it took me about five seconds to learn it, and I get instant satisfaction out of watching things blow up. Yeah, the Total War games were never that necessarily accessible. You always either had to love the time period or be, be willing to sort of fiddle with this complicated RTS army interface. Uh, yeah. So, well, well, next week we've got a fellow who wants to talk about uh, Empire Total War, which should be interesting because unlike the Quest for Glory series, I have some very strong opinions about the, the Total War series. I've not been a fan of those lately. So do you uh, – it's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a word for you, Adam. I want you to tell me how you would pronounce this. Are you ready? I'm going to spell this. You ready? All right. Okay. It's E-N-I-D-I-G-M. How would you say that? I've always pronounced it anodyme. See, I think you're right. I've been, for the longest time, thinking it was Enadigum. <laughs> but, yeah, I think you're right. It's like Paradigm uh, Enadigum. That's what I figured it was a play off of. Do you know him, by the way? I, I don't know him, know him. Okay. I have gotten into P&R debates with him. Well, he's, uh, he's, he's the guy who's going to be here next week to talk about Empire Total War. Uh, who, so you live out there on the East Coast. A bunch of you guys sort of hang out and meet each other sometimes. Have you met Troy Goodfellow? I have not met Troy, who did not show up. Uh, I've gone to one get-together. I met Hawkeye Fierce. I met Dufresne. Mm-hmm. Um, I have met Dean, though he didn't show up at that. Dean gave me an air conditioner once, which makes him the greatest guy on the board, in my opinion. <laughs> That's a pretty cool thing to do for someone. Give someone else an air conditioner. Nice. Uh, and and I have met a couple of other people, but I have not met Troy. By the way, that's another, you said uh, Dufresne? That's Dufresne, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's another one of those things where I see the name and it never occurred to me to puzzle out how it's actually pronounced, so I just think Dufresne. 
Uh, Have you ever read uh, uh, Three Musketeers and the Shawshank Redemption? Oh, uh, not a huge... You know what? I'm sure I have. Uh, I don't know it that well. Is Dufresne from that story? Well, Andy Dufresne is the main character in the Shawshank Redemption. That's Tim Robbins? Yeah, and, and I never knew that that's how that name was spelled until I actually read the book, and I was sitting there thinking, who's this Andy Dufresne guy? Oh. From the movie, Dufresne. And they actually say in the movie, Dufresne? Yep. Yeah, I never would have known that's how you, you say that name. Here's a, here's a name. Uh, how would you pronounce... Okay, I'm going to give you another one. Uh, let me actually write it down real quick to make sure. Okay, ready? S-I-O-B-A-H-N. I don't know how to pronounce that one, but B-H-A-N, I would pronounce Siobhan. B-H-A-N, I don't know what I said. Say it again. Siobhan. How would you know that? I just know that. Because <laughs> that's another one I've seen written, Siobhan, and I just assumed, oh, it's some weird Irish name. Uh, but I've known people named Siobhan and never had any idea that that's how they spelled their name. Uh, so very good. All right. Good. Well, my, my mother's Welsh, so she had a lot of weird names. Ah. Uh, on her side of the family. Right, right. Well, all right. Well, uh, thank you so much, Adam. For those of you listening, we will be back next week with Enidime or Enidigum. We'll find out, uh, talking about Empire Total War. Uh, oh, oh, and, and by the way, yeah, I should mention this. So on the forum, the question, uh, what's the thing you own that you've had the longest time, that will be posted uh, for a drawing for a free game. Post your answer in there, and in your post... You must have a letter that should be capitalized, but isn't. So basically, there has to be a typo where you capitalized a letter, where you're supposed to have a proper noun or something that have a capitalized letter, but that isn't. And that must happen in the course of answering the question, what's the thing you own that you've had before? So, uh, Adam, you are in the drawing uh, for that. Anybody who posts according to the rules will also be in the drawing. Uh, and join us next week. So appreciate you hanging out with me, Adam, uh, and we'll be seeing you around on the forum. You too.